Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 81 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. How great was it to see that they uh, brought over those tab edit, or table edit, or however you say that, all those files over there of all those tunes that people have worked on. And... Uh, There's new tunes up there. That's exciting, man. This is great. That's a killer resource. Um, So I'm excited for that to have happened. So thank you to Scott and everybody over at the cafe. Also, this week, Friday, Bandcamp is waiving their fees for all the artists. And this is a big deal because that means if you buy anything on Bandcamp Friday, all the money goes directly to the artist. So I've gone through... Bandcamp and every person who has been on the podcast, I went through and found their product on the store and I made a giant wish list. So if you want to go there and check out some killer music and uh, want to support some of the people who've appeared on this podcast, go on over there. I'll have the link on my website right at the top of the page. Um, and you can just click that and it will take you right to there. There's over 70 different items. And the newest item is my buddy Tristan Scroggins just put out another another tab book or another music book. There's music and tab and it's uh, bluegrass standards and he has uh, versions, simple versions to tougher versions. There's three different versions of each song and it's killer. So great work, Tristan. So be sure to go and check that out. And if you buy it on Friday, guess who gets all the money? Tristan does. So uh, be sure to check that out. Head over there. Uh, my sponsors this week, Peghead Nation. They're streaming video courses in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass. You'll learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots Music. PegheadNation.com features a great lineup of mandolin instructors with courses by Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Feibish, and Chad Manning. Everything from beginning mandolin to theory for mandolin and all sorts of stuff in between. All those courses include high, include high quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. Join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now and get your first month for free. Just go to PegheadNation.com. Use the promo code MANDOLINBEER, all one word, at checkout. Also, Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com and download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. Ear Trumpet Labs, who build microphones with their hands in Portland, Oregon. They're beautiful. They have great feedback rejection for live use, and they're the most natural tone you'll find for acoustic instruments today. You've seen them. You've heard them. Go check them out at eartrumpetlabs.com today. And from Austin, Texas, Pavo Mandolins, dedicated to building for the impassioned player. I really appreciate these sponsors. They help make this happen every single week. So please take a few minutes and head over there and show them some support. Thank you guys so much for everything. Also, if you get a chance, leave a review at uh, the iTunes store. Um, You can do a review and a comment. That'd be great. Those things all get this out there even more. Share it with a friend. Go to Facebook and Instagram uh, as well. And actually on Instagram, you'll see pictures of my newest acquisition. I'll be posting that today. Let's get into this with Michael Cleveland. Whoo! What a great guy and a great player. Had a good time talking with him. Check it out. Cheers, everybody. Now it's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast the first non-main instrument mandolin player, Michael Cleveland. Michael, how's it going? 
Doing great. How about you, Ben? Doing great, man. Thank you so much for doing this. I have to tell you, um, you were just talking about you just played your first live gig down in Florida here um, recently. And the last live show that I saw was the Billy Strings, Strings in the Hall in Nashville. And you were the last guest on the first set and you absolutely peeled the roof off of that place, man. (laughs) (laughs) Man, that was fun. Dude, I videotaped the crowd to send to friends while you were playing because I hadn't seen anything like that in person in a long time. And so for that to be like my last live show for, you know, well, I still haven't seen one since that, since that, that, that's a pretty good high note to leave a year of music off at. It was incredible. Shoot. Yeah. That, that was, that was crazy. It was, it was weird. You know, we did that show and then, uh, Seemed like we might have had a couple of flame keeper gigs and then we uh and then of course the Grammy and that was surreal. And then after that, like the weekend after my buddy Brian Lever and I, I didn't have a thing going on, so we went to Spigma and just hung out and picked the whole weekend. It just, you know, stayed up all night and the whole bit. And, <laughs> and then uh I did. I did another couple of shows with Billy there at Headliners here here in Louisville, and he uh, he invited me out, and I ended up playing those, and then uh, played the Opry with Tommy Emanuel, and about that time is when everything started just going. And and I look back on it now; it's like it just seems like such a long time ago but at the same time though it's 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 so wild you know here here we are you know at the grammys or at the string the halls or you know tons of people everywhere you know and now you know hell you wouldn't dream of doing something like that until you know it's just wild how things change. What was the capacity? Did they do a full capacity at the gig that you played in Florida? Uh, it was pretty small. They, uh, we were supposed to do one, one show in the evening, and then they, uh, they ended up. They asked us if they would do if we could do two shows, and so we ended up doing one in the afternoon. And one in the evening, and they were both pretty small. Like the one in the afternoon was all seventy-five people or so, and then uh, then the other one was a little little over a hundred for the evening show. And we didn't we didn't do a, a meet and greet or anything. Unfortunately, we just pretty much played the gig, and uh, you know we're. We were sorry that we couldn't do that, but, you know, we're, we try to be careful. Yeah, well, know. all things considered, I think they were probably just happy you were there performing live, <laughs> you know. I know we were. We were, <laughs> I bet. we were ready to pick. We were rusty, though. It was pretty hilarious. We, we got together and practiced a little bit the night before <laughs> to see if we could actually play. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's good that you got out there. And you said you've been keeping pretty busy, though, doing some session stuff and, and things yeah, like that. that. That's pretty much all I've been doing. And I'm, I'm really 
grateful for it. I, I think I, I think I started this thing just in time. I, I started uh, doing these sessions here at the house. I got set up to record about a couple of years ago, and here in the last year, you know, ever since everything shut down, I mean, I haven't had to post on Facebook or, you know, try to look for work or whatever. It just seems like, which I'm very thankful for because I'm, I know a lot of my friends, you know, they're, they're doing, you know, everything that they can do, you know, which is understandable. And so I'm, I'm thankful that that's been as good as it has. That's great. Well, I mean, you've worked hard to uh, to get to get those session calls. You know, I, they're well deserved, man. So that well, it's a new thing for me, really. It, it's uh, yeah, I've always played on stuff here and there, you know, but to play in the studio every day, uh, and you know, it's so like. Since everything shut down, you know, I've learned Pro Tools, you know, so, well, I haven't learned it. I, I know enough to do what I need to do. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a pretty much, it's a never-ending thing with, with that kind of stuff. But I've, I've been learning that and then just, uh, yeah, playing in the studio is a different animal, you know. You, you play different, you listen differently, you try to. Uh, the way I look at it is, you know, you listen to what's going on and you try to play, play something that complements that and also, you know, kind of takes it to a different place, you know, or if you could figure out some, uh, some kind of line or, you know, like a hook line or something that'll set the song apart. You know, I, I really love doing stuff like that. Just, you know, if, if there's there's some catchy phrase or something that, because that's that's like all the cool songs that that you get stuck in your head. You know, I mean that that's what they all have in common. You know, either vocally or instrumentally, there's this you know repeating thing that that happens throughout the song. You know, absolutely. And I think that's what makes um, you know players who stand out the players they are because you know if you just play fast and there's no melody or nothing to hum you know you might you might be like wow that song the instrumental playing was incredible on there but if there's nothing to make yeah. you remember any of that six months from now you might not even remember you heard it you know it's those songs where you're like wow that you're, you're humming it and it comes back into your head suddenly and you're like i gotta listen to this song again and then you listen to johnny cash's music and as simple as that is right you know i mean that's yeah it's nothing that's gonna just blow your mind musically but i mean who can argue with the hits and who can yeah it's like and it's still you know you, you still feel something from those oh records. my gosh absolutely you can listen to any of those old recordings even some of his later recordings that he did on that American, yeah. the American records where he was doing kind of popular songs from bands in that era, the 90s and 2000s or, or 90s. And it was just like, whoa, still got it, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and he, you know, Cash wasn't the best singer. Yeah, and I think he would even tell you that. And a lot of those guys, you know, Johnny Cash, 
Ernest Tubb and Roy Acuff, you know, they weren't the most, yeah, they, they weren't the best singers in the music or, you know, like the most on pitch or the most anything, but still, you know, they could sell a song. Yeah, know? exactly. Sell you a story. Yeah. And that's what it is. You know, it's you, you can, you can sing a song or play a song and, you know, play as, as many notes or whatever as you want. But if you can't make somebody believe that song, you know, that that's the thing. You mentioned the Grammys a little a bit ago. Did you win? Have you won two Grammys? No, only one. Uh, yeah, just one. So you've won the one Grammy for the last. The, was it Fiddler's Dream? Uh, I was nominated for for that one. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's right. You went to the Grammys. You and this. So yeah, was Josh. It? Josh, our guitar player, calls that our Grammy losing album. <laughs> oh, that's a good way to look at it. <laughs> yeah. Was it tall? Was it tall fiddler then? Yeah. Awesome, man. That's a that's a piece of hardware not a lot of people have. Oh man, that's, I still can't believe it. Yeah, did you go? Did you go to it when you won? Sure did. Oh wow, what was it like? Oh god, people everywhere. Man. <laughs> it's, it's it's crazy. Um, yeah, it's uh, wow, and it's. It's really, it becomes a blur, you know, like, uh, but it, it was just cool to be there, you know, to be in L.A. And uh, we went to, uh, we went to the actual telecast and, and watched some of that. Nice. Man, you know, I can't say that I listen to pop music or whatever, but when you see a show like that, it's like regardless of it. You know, whether you whether you know that music or not, you know, or anything that you could possibly say or think about, you know, pop artists, you know, right, you know, it's all auto tuned or whatever. And I've said that plenty of times. Sure. But when you see a performance like that, I mean, it's whether you whether you're into it or not, you have to acknowledge just how cool something like that is. Sure. And it's, again, it's like just, it's just another form of hard work, you know, yeah. at some point, even if, if, if maybe the hard work isn't necessarily in the singing, the show part of it, you know, there's uh there's definitely some hard work in, in all those performances, no matter, you know, it, it, visual or audio, however, it's always, you know, somebody well, puts a lot of time into it. And it showed me, you know, it's like, yeah, these people, you know, they're not up here by accident, you know, they, <laughs> right. you know, of course, I'm sure there, there is some tuning or whatever. There's plenty of that that goes on and, and what we do, you know? So, oh, yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. What was it like to, what was it like to hear your name, man? <laughs> uh, I, my, 
girlfriend at the time, she she was uh, she had to tell me that we won. Yeah, I, it was like I heard it, but I didn't hear it. Wow, that's so great. Well, congratulations. That's amazing. Oh, but yeah, we got up there. I I got up there and I had a had an accepted speech ready, and I was going to try and thank everybody played on the record man when i got up there just my mind went blank <laughs> i actually i actually thanked a couple of people no kidding that played on the last out <laughs> it was like oh hell that ain't right yeah at least you thank some, you thank some people <laughs> yeah I, I, yeah it doesn't matter yeah like three albums ago that's so, <laughs> all Oh, that's great. Well, um, obviously, you're an incredible fiddle player, and I highly recommend um, if people if they aren't familiar with you, and I can't imagine anybody who's listening to this isn't isn't familiar with you. Um, there's a there's a, a great documentary out there, Flame Keeper, that does a, a it's a whole documentary on on Michael and, and his story, and it's uh it's inspiring, and it's it's amazing, man. And so I would definitely recommend people check that out. Um, but just to give a, like a little bit of a background, how old were you when you started playing fiddle? Uh, I was four years old. <laughs> That's, that is incredible, man. Four years old. And what was it about? What was it about the bluegrass that got you? Well, uh, none of my family ever played any music, but my grandparents loved bluegrass and they started a uh, a bluegrass association that met every second and fourth Saturday in Henryville, Indiana, which is the town where I'm from. And uh, it's a small town in southern Indiana, just uh, across the river from Louisville, Kentucky. And so they started this bluegrass association, and then there was another one. And this was a couple of years before I was born that they, they started this. And then there was another one that happened every third. And if there was a fifth Saturday, about 15 miles away in Scottsburg, Indiana. And then there was another one that started later. That was the first Saturday of the month in Madison, Indiana. So we had these local shows. All these, you know, pretty much bluegrass happening every Saturday every Saturday night somewhere. And so my grandparents started the one in Henryville, and I guess they started taking me to these things when I was about six months old, so I hear, <laughs> I don't remember. But, like, uh, I just, I would go with them to these, these bluegrass things every Saturday night, and then... I think around the time I was four years old, I heard a fiddle player play the Orange Blossom Special, and that was the thing. That was what, uh, that was when I knew that I had to learn how to play. I would start school that year at the Kentucky School for the Blind in Louisville, 
and they had a they had a classical program. They had a, a strings program where they taught the Suzuki method, and so I started taking classical music, and it was a uh, it was a slow process, you know. But I remember walking into the school, walking into the classroom, and the teacher, Miss Nolan, was asking me if you know what I. Yeah, you you want to learn how to play the violin? What is it about the violin? I said, Well, I don't know much about the violin, but I know a lot about the fiddle. <laughs> and she said, Oh, really? Like what? And I said, Well, I know bluegrass. You know, I really like that, and I like to play bluegrass. And I want to learn, you know, the Orange Blossom Special. And she said, Well, that's gonna be that's gonna be a while. <laughs> and, and it was, man. Um, like. And I, I think for for a long time, and it, it's easy to do this because I've done the same thing. You know, you hear a, you hear a bad example of of some kind of music, and you just kind of figure it's all like that. And so I think I think they had gotten the idea from yeah, I don't know what, but they you know she didn't want me playing bluegrass for a long time because she thought it was gonna hurt my playing you know so i i would uh uh learn classical during the week and i mean it was it was probably close to two years before i could play anything just a lot of scales and and exercises and different things like that Uh, yeah (laughs) even that i mean with the fiddle you know the the thing about it is even getting the bow moving to where you can make a decent sound, you know, that's, that doesn't send people running, you know, like it's, it's not, it takes a while just to even get the bow happening, you know, like the first thing you do when you're learning, you know, is just play a down bow on, on one string and then play an up bow and then you try to get you know, you try to use all your bow and, and make it sound as smooth as, as possible, you know. So you do that, and you'll do that for a while before you even start playing any notes. I tried to tried to uh, pick up a fiddle one time and like, well, I, I, I know the left-hand shapes. I can uh, – <laughs> and I put it down. I'm like, this would drive me crazy. <laughs> the, the bowing was terrible. I had a student one time. He was an older guy, you know. He was – Super nice guy. He's a banjo player. And uh, he called me up. I was teaching a few lessons out of my basement, you know. This has been a while back. And he called me. He said, man, I want to take some fiddle lessons. I got this fiddle. And I've never played one, and I I want to give it a shot. And I was thinking to myself, oh, hell. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to say. You know, say he was a nice guy. You know, I said, yeah, come over, you know. And so we did We did a couple lessons. And, I mean, it was clear he just wasn't getting it, you know. And um, he showed up for his third lesson, and he's like, and he, he came in, he had his banjo. He said, I want to learn banjo today. I said, really? Uh, he said, yeah. My wife told me the other day it's going to be the fiddle or her. So. 
<laughs> well, has she heard a had she heard a banjo yet? <laughs> I don't know what's worse. <laughs> I think it's encouraging, though, for people to hear and myself included, like you didn't just pick it up and 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 play Orange Blossom special. I mean, you are oh, so man, all this, all this, you know, it's like anything else. You, you just keep chipping away at it. You know, you, you, and the thing is, if you, you know, if it's something that you love, you know, you can't help but not do it, you know, even though it you off sometimes. Absolutely. You just keep, you know, you keep going and, uh, you know, it's a it's a slow process for everybody. You know, I've heard people say, you know, if, oh yeah, so and so he just picked it up and started playing. I, you know, I don't believe I don't believe that. <laughs> right, right. That was you know um, that was a big misconception for me because I never really took lessons either, and um, and you know I'd go on YouTube when I first got the mandolin and I'd see you know like Thiele and. Jake Jolliffe is like a 12 oh, yeah, year old and be like, great. what <laughs> these guys, you know, and then when I took lessons and, you know, they're every all these pros and doing this interview, doing these interviews, everybody starts slow, even if they're working on something tomorrow. You would think like, oh, they'll just knock that out, but they don't. The real good ones sit down and start bar by bar in some cases and play it slow and get it right. Yeah, that's a, yeah. it's important yeah, to know I mean, that everybody crawls before they walk. There's no way to, to actually do it, you know, depending on now. Now, a lot of this stuff, you know, like in bluegrass or whatever, whether you're playing fiddle or you're playing mandolin or whatever, it is kind of like a language. So you do. You know, you'll you'll hear these licks that that you learn in other songs. It's like, oh yeah, I know. You know, so if it's if it's something something like that, you can apply things that you learned before. You know, but if you get into real technical music, you know that that's a different thing than than what you normally do. Yeah, it's you know you have to take it slow and and. You know, learn every little nuance of it. What's the, uh, if, if you had to think about a piece that you've learned, what would be one of the most difficult things that you've worked on? Oh, man. Uh, that's a very good question. I think uh, uh, a couple of years ago, I was uh, able to, I was asked to play on some stuff for Bela Fleck. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he, it's, it's like you were saying, you know, like I, I've listened to those bluegrass sessions albums and, and all that. I mean, uh, just, it's incredible, you know. preconceived idea that you just man these guys just came in and 
you know, laid it down, you know. And uh, we rehearsed, I don't know, three, four times, four or five on the same four or five, six, ten. I can't remember how many we recorded, you know. But, you know, and it was Cody Kilby and, and Dominic Leslie and uh, Paul Cord played with uh, Punch Brothers. And, I mean, these guys, you know, and, and still, you know, I mean, we rehearsed. We rehearsed the stuff quite a bit, and there was, you know, there were quite a few things that, you know, he just, and, and, and Bela's aware, you know, He's super great. He's like, you know, am I pushing you guys too hard? You know, I don't want to <laughs> work you off too. And, and he, you know, do you need a break or whatever? It's like, you know, well, hell, if he's willing to play it over and over and over again, you know, I mean, I, and, and I think that's great. You know, he's, uh, we worked on all the stuff and, and he told me, you know, that all the albums, he, yeah, they, they would rehearse quite a bit, you know, even that bluegrass session stuff. And then the way he records is very different than uh, the way I have been used to people doing it, you know. Because most of the time, you know, when you're recording a track or whatever, and you might all be playing together, but... You know, if there's some mistakes, but the guitar and the bass are good or whatever, you know, that's, well, that's a good track to build off of. We'll just fix everything else, mm -hmm. you know, and go from there. Well, the way Bela does it, he likes to play the song as many times as possible. So I'm not sure, but I, I think uh, I think we might have played each song about I at least 10 times wow. you know, or more. And it's not that he didn't have a good take. It's just, he likes to, uh, he likes to mix and match and like find the best moments from everything and, and kind of put it all together, which I'm very interested to hear it. I think it should be coming out pretty soon. Oh man. I can't wait to hear it. But then, yeah, that that's probably some of the most uh, involved stuff here uh, in the last couple of years. And then uh, Andy Statman, I don't know if you're familiar with him. <laughs> yeah, I've had him on uh, early on, last year, actually. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, he, he's another one, man. He, you know, he comes from bluegrass and jazz and klezmer and, and all this I mean yeah that's <laughs> that's a lot of music man Get out there, and then at the same time, he can 
he can play like we were talking about Jesse McReynolds, you know, and then he proceeds to cross pick and play, play like, oh yeah, I love this so and he can play that stuff note for note, you know. He can play Bill Monroe and and Jesse McReynolds and and you know, because Grisman, you know, I, I yeah, he Andy told me that Grisman would uh would give him all these real to real tapes, you know, and kind of point out so I heard a story, and I don't know if this is true or not, you know, but that Andy lived with David at one time, and that, you know, David will go, I don't know, to work or school or whatever, you know, and he'd leave Andy with a reel-to-reel tape or whatever, and he'd come home, and Andy had learned everything on the on the tape. <laughs> and they would just do that routine for a while. Wow. That'd be uh, to be a fly on a wall at that at that place would have been incredible. Oh man, yeah. So, um, when did you pick up a mandolin originally? Well, uh, I think I was nine, and I I'd heard. Oh no! I just kind of got into. Of course, I'd always listened to like Bill Monroe and. And the Osborne brothers, and I don't know really what. I I guess I knew that you know mandolin and fiddle were you know kind of tuned the same, although they are different instruments. Uh, but I can't remember exactly how I got interested in it, other than the fact that I knew a lot of fiddle players played mandolin, and I wanted to give it a shot. My uncle Jack. My uncle had this Kentucky mandolin. Um, it was an A-style Kentucky from, I think, the 80s, maybe. It was a good mandolin. I, I should I should try and get that back. But it's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty impressive for, for an A-style Kentucky. And so that's what I, that's kind of what I started on. What kind of stuff were you learning? Were you just taking like fiddle things, and yeah, mm -hmm. a, lot, a lot of times, yeah. I, when I was first starting, I would you know take fiddle things and apply it. You know, it's a different kind of motion to get the pick happening. Um, and yeah. I guess you could say my mandolin playing style is is a little unorthodox. You know, I don't use my wrist a lot, which I sometimes. You know, I've been trying to get better at, you know, making myself use my wrist to, to play like mid-tempo stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, but, yeah, I, I think just starting out, I, I would just try to apply the, the fiddle stuff. Were you listening to any particular mandolin players? Were you learning like any particular, any particular players sort of things? Or were there some certain players that really, aside from like Monroe and Bobby Osborne, that you were really digging into? Yeah, I mean, I, I really liked, uh, I really was into Bobby's playing, you know. And, uh, 
hobbies. One of those players, you know, and I'm, I mean this with all due respect, you know, so don't take this the wrong way. But, like, Bobby has never been, like, the cleanest mandolin player. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as, you know, you listen to the people who play today, you know. But oh, sure. I, I think I think what always uh, what I always liked about his playing is you could hear the fact that he was into fiddle music, you know. 100%. And he would play those licks, you know. Like, he would play, you know, he didn't sound like a fiddle player. But then he would throw in a, a lick that came from, I mean, I, I've seen him backstage, you know, teaching a fiddle player, you know, how, here's how Benny Martin played, if I should wander back tonight and play it note for note. Uh, yeah, and like, uh, I think I heard a solo on a record, you know, somebody recorded We'll Meet Again, Sweetheart, and it was in the key of B, I think, and he played... Bobby, when it came time for his solo, he played note for note the fiddle solo that Jim Shoemate played on the original. Right, you know, and it, just stuff like that. And then he had a, somebody gave me his Manwin album that I think was a bunch of cuts from different sessions that they kind of put together, you know, but it had, you probably heard it, it had like Billy in the Low Ground and uh, Say Old Man and Lime Rock and <laughs> you know, sure. Either high level hornpipe or dungon, one of those tunes. You know, like he would play all that stuff on the mandolin, and I thought that was really cool. And it's not that I learned all that stuff, but at the same time, I, I really, you know, once I started learning more about fiddle and mandolin, also, you know, I just realized what a, you know, he was a closet. Fiddle player. Yeah, high level hornpipe is on that is. album. Huh? A uh, high level hornpipe is on that album. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, it's and, so uh, good. Yeah, if you think that ain't hard, yeah, try try to play that. I was working. I was working on that lime rock, man, and I was just like, uh, I'm like, I got to be close to a. Uh, to the end of this yeah. tune, right? I'm like, nope. <laughs> you know, just all the cool nuances that he puts in there as well. You know, it's just like there's yeah. just something a little bit different. I mean, you could get by and just play the same thing over and over, but um, you know, you, it's those little things in there. You're like, oh, I gotta figure that out. Yeah, and a guy made me a tape. I think it was John Silikowski, the guy that made my fiddle. He made me a tape. I remember now it had a, it had that Bobby Osborne album. And it had a uh, Doyle Lawson's Tennessee Dream album. <laughs> Yeah, I 
And so it's not like it's not like I ever learned the stuff note for note, but at the same time, like listening to those two albums and you know, hearing the differences and similarities, you know, to fiddle, that kind of helped me start, I think. You know. You're talking about your right hand being unorthodox, but dude, your right hand playing you are super clean, man. There are some YouTube videos, first of all, um, the you and I talked about it recently. Somebody had reposted like Bluegrass Breakdown on one of the Facebook pages that came up. And I mean, just at the tempos you are playing, there's a, and there's like when you when you kind of dive in the rabbit hole of your mandolin playing, there's a whole bunch of like jam sessions. Um, I think yeah. Russ Carson, I think, might be filmed a bunch of those like hotel room jams and different things yeah. like that. And dude, you are on fire. <laughs> well, I, I enjoy playing mandolin. You know, it's um, it's kind of hard to stay up on it because I mean, I play some mandolin in the show. You know, like we worked up a couple twin things, but you know, I don't need to play mandolin on stage because <laughs> we got a killer mandolin player. Yeah, but, Nathan's great. Yeah, he's he's. And just keeps getting better and better, you know. But like, uh, yeah, I, I enjoy it. Well, there's three tracks on Fiddler's Dream that you play mandolin on. The blues for Bill. which you did on a mandolin Monday for for uh, oh, yeah, yeah. and then uh, Earl Park you play on as well Earl Park, I thought that was Sam Bush. Until I, really? yeah, yeah, it's got oh, that wow. kind of, it's kind of got that bounce and a little bit of that vibe. Um, well, man, I like mandolin players, and and this is the thing, you know, it's like it's like Bill Monroe, you know, or like Sam Bush, and there there's a few mandolin players that have this, uh, you know, Compton and you know people who people like that, but. You know, there's a rhythm to their playing. You know, there's a right hand rhythm where they, you know, where they accentuate the the backbeat, or they, and you could, you know, whether they're playing notes or not, just you know, when they're playing sixteenth notes with their right hand, you know, you can hear da 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 da, you know, like you could, you could hear where, I don't know, it's just like this. It's almost like driving the rhythm, you know, not only playing the notes, but, you know, like uh, accentuating and setting the groove for the song. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, like Compton's playing on um, that Hartford album, the 
uh, Wild Hog and the Red Bush. Yeah. It's, it's just, just playing through that whole thing. It's yeah. just like, like I mean, it, it, if there was a different mandolin player on that album, I don't think it'd be as cool to me anyway, because it adds so much to the entire feel of every track on that album. Yep. He nails it. Yeah. Yeah, that Hartford String Band stuff is great. If, as a as a fiddle player, um, what are some things, that, as we're talking about different players and, and things like that, what are some things that a mandolin player listening to this, who's maybe going to jam sessions, could work on? Or what's something that you look for in a mandolin player that you that makes you think like, oh, we got a solid guy here? Well, I, I to be quite honest with you, it's like, yeah, when you listen to or when you play with somebody like Sam Bush, you know, and it's not, and yeah, what they play is impressive. You know, it's like, um, I'm I'm all about groove. I'm all about energy, and uh, I, I think the most important thing any mandolin player ought to work on is not only their chop, but getting the chop, you know, to where, you know, it's like, yeah, Sam does all kinds of crazy, you know, chop, you know, syncopated, you know, stuff that he's, you know, been influenced by Bob Marley and, and people like that, which is great. But just having the ability to do all that stuff is not, it's the groove he plays it in. It's not the fact that, oh, yeah, he just did this crazy syncopated thing. And if you do all that all the time, you know, then it's not it's not anything cool or different anymore. It just becomes annoying after a while. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. Like, but, but if you could do that and do it when it's appropriate and also it's hard to explain. But when you play with somebody like that, when you play with Sam Bush or – you know, J.D. Crow or, you know, like any, anybody like that, the whole thing changes. It, it's like it elevates the situation to where, you know, they're laying down such a groove, such a foundation for you to play off of that you can play anything. So, I mean, my thing is, you know, if, if you can lay down a groove that's that's 75% of it right there because, you know, it's not at the end of the day, you know, you could play, you know, I had a music teacher once that, you know, he, he majored in music and he, he was brilliant, you know. He started playing me all this electric guitar stuff, you know, Jeff Beck, Roy Buchanan and all this stuff, and he could play it all. But he could not play in time. Oh, wow. But he could pull off all this amazing stuff, you know. But when you actually tried to play something with the guy, and he was a, he was a great teacher. I'm not saying that. But I, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, you can work on all these licks and, and, you know, learn everything note for note. But if you can't lay down a groove that that people want to play with, and it's not. It's not anything more than, you know, just playing with a metronome and and 
recording yourself, the most painful part of it, <laughs> recording <laughs> yourself and listening to yourself play. Absolutely. You know, it's the dreaded thing, but man, you know, it, there's no better way to learn about your playing and and what you need to work on. And there's no easier time than now. If you have yep. a smartphone, you can record everything you're playing. Oh, man. You know, I think about it now, you know. Shoot. Uh, I, I wish we'd have had stuff like that. Oh, for sure, man. Yeah. It's crazy. And the other thing I want to point out, people who might be listening to this and saying like, well, not everybody gets a chance to play with Sam Bush or J.D. Crow. You do, actually, because if you have a CD in your collection or YouTube or Spotify or iTunes, pick a track and play along because yeah. you can play along with all these guys. Yeah. Yeah, man. And you can, you know, and you can record yourself and, and listen back to it or you can. You know, I mean, most of the time you can feel, you know, it's like when you're really locking in with something, you know, it's just, you know, it's a different thing. Mm -hmm. When that metronome click disappears while you're playing is the best. Yeah. Until yeah. you realize it's missing and then you're like, oh, right. and then you're fine. <laughs> and then you're yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when you really get in the groove and you can't even hear the metronome, you're just right in the pocket. That's the coolest feeling. Shoot. Yeah, man. And when you're in a jam like that you know like well uh, the first time i played with sam you know it's it's like yeah i i hear all the stuff you know it sounds just like sam bush playing solos you know which is mind-blowing enough but, <laughs> but to play you know with his with his chop and and the first time i played with sam it was with players that i picked with before, like a couple of weeks before, you know, with a different mandolin player. And it was, it was just, it was night and day. It, it was like when it just kind of made the whole band better. You know, it changed the feel of everything for the better, if that makes sense. Do you have a a jam session that you've been in at this point where you were just like, I can't believe I just played with these people? Yeah, I mean, I've had a few. I've had, <laughs> I've been fortunate enough to have quite a few of those. And um, I mean, the first time I played with Doc Watson, and, uh, I was thirteen at IBMA, and uh, we had just done the Bluegrass Youth All Star thing, and after the after the awards show we were walking around and there was this jam going on with Doc Watson and Tim O'Brien and Beppe Gambetta and Pete Warnick and all these guys, you know, and Dan Crary. Um and I think my dad just asked him if I could play a couple tunes, you know, and it was just man, I couldn't believe I was in the middle of that, you know. And I like to play uh, you know, I've got to play with Crow a few times, you know, like ne never in, in the band, but uh, to play shows, you know, when Ron Stewart was playing fiddle, there was some stuff that he couldn't do, and so I was able to go play some of that, and then, you know, to, you know, to play with people like Andy Statman and Bale Fleck, and um, yeah, it's... 
I've I've been pretty fortunate. Bill Monroe. Oh, oh, you've got to play with Bill Monroe. Yeah. Oh, uh, a couple wow. Times. For for like a young guy like yourself, you know, like to be able to to be able to play with Bill. That's you know, not not a lot of people get to say that at a certain point. <laughs> no, no, and uh, you know, I guess I, you know, when you're a kid, I you don't think about. You know, I think about now, you know, wow, you know, what a, what a big deal that was, you know. But when you're nine years old, I mean, it's just, yeah, I, I did that. <laughs> but, Do you remember the first tune you played with them? Oh, man. Um, it was that this uh, Sunset Jam at Bing Blossom. And they would set up a microphone and, and like, I think it was like Thursday or Friday, they would have the Sunset Jam, and anybody in the park who wanted to play with Bill Monroe you know, could come to this oak tree, and they would just have this huge jam, you know. And so that's, you know, I played in that a couple times, and I actually did get to play. Uh, got up on stage at a local festival that he was at and played Wheel Hoss. Oh wow. That was that was pretty cool. I bet. I love that song. I wish I had a recording of that, but I do have a video of one of those uh sunset jams at Thing Blossom. Oh, do you really? Yeah, some guy uh this guy Morris Barnett, who used to uh go to all the festivals and he would video everything, you know. So I am between him and my grandparents. I mean, my grandma taped everything, like from the time I was just starting. And I, I still got a bunch of that stuff, and uh, and then the the videos, which is uh, which is something that I, you know, something I really value because I know a lot of people don't have stuff like that right that's great what are some uh things you know on, on this podcast a lot of people talk about the right hand exercises and different things like that but what are some things that you think mandolin players could pick up on the left hand from a fiddle player or some things maybe that mandolin players might not think of that that you would be like oh this could really open some things up for you well you know i think uh you know, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely a lot of the fiddle things can be applied to mandolin. I, I think that, you know, once you, you start playing to a certain level, it's important to set your mandolin playing. Like, I, I try to think of it as a different instrument, you know, because, like, if you... If you think about it this way, you know, if you're overdubbing fiddle and mandolin on a, on a song, and you know, if you play, if you play some of the same licks on the mandolin as you did the fiddle, you know, then it's going to be pretty obvious that <laughs> you know, you're, which, um, but I would say, you know, like uh, the big thing for fiddle players is to use your fourth finger. And I, you know, that, 
that's been pretty necessary for for me and it's i think it was easier to incorporate that having already started doing that on the fiddle you know but sure um i like i like doing stuff like there's some chord you know chordal harmony kind of things you know like uh, that the Jesse McReynolds or, or somebody like that would do, you know, like messing around with stuff like that. Uh, I think split string playing is really cool. I don't, I don't do a lot of it because it's really hard. But it's like, <laughs> uh, I, I really like to hear, you know, somebody throw a little bit of that in there every once in a while, you know. Uh, but, it, yeah, I don't know. I can't really pinpoint one specific thing. Sure. What are some things that you, when you sit down with mandolin and you're trying to maybe say play cleaner um, or different, what are some things that you approach or that you work on when you're just sitting down with a mandolin? Well, I'm, I'm, uh, I think I'm trying to play lighter now because, uh, you know, playing in the studio, you know, you realize pretty quick and, and you know it, it i guess i didn't realize until i got set up with pro tools you know it's like have a have a really good condenser mic and you know you can get the headphone volume to where you can really hear what what you're doing and what's going on but um you know when you're playing in a situation like that you know, you shouldn't have to beat the hell out of it, too. <laughs> right. which is is something I'm bad for because I'm an I'm 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 a very aggressive player for the most part, you know. Mm-hmm. And, but I find my I'll, I'll catch myself, you know. It's like, man, I'm playing way too hard. I mean, you'll listen back to it and you can hear that, right? And so I've been trying to to work on. You know, trying to use as little motion as possible to play, and like mid-tempo stuff, just using my wrist more because it's not something that I've I've done, and I know I would be a lot cleaner if I could if I could get myself to uh, to the point where I could do that. And you play too. I mean, some of these tempos, like especially like the YouTube videos. Um, they are a blazing speeds. <laughs> yeah. And they're still, but it's still pretty clean for as fast as it is, you know what I mean? And for just kind of a hangout jam session, it's like, holy cow, man. <laughs> I mean, you hear those notes. Well, there's something weird, you know, and it's, it's probably the unorthodox way that I play, you know, but but sometimes it's actually easier for me to play something fast than it is, you know, and I might be able to play that a little cleaner sometimes than, you know, coming up with something mid-tempo, you know. But that's also part of, you know, like I play fiddle all the time. Yeah, I play mandolin's pretty much my second instrument. So, um, but yeah, it, I, I don't know. For some reason, sometimes faster is easier in certain situations i don't know why 
What are some uh, some things outside of fiddle that you listen to that maybe crept into your playing that made you play a little bit? Because you have a very distinct style, and, and while it's very bluegrass bass, you definitely have some licks that sound like they came from someplace besides traditional bluegrass. When I was about 12 years old, there was another guy that, that made me a bunch of tapes, you know. Uh, and he said, you know, if you're going to be a fiddle player or a mandolin player or whatever, you know, you need to, there, there's some stuff that you need to listen to, you know. And so he sent a bunch of bluegrass stuff, you know, a lot of cool radio shows, stuff like that. But he also sent, like, uh, you know, Jethro Burns and his, oh, yeah. his mandolin playing and, you know, jazz guys like Grappelli and, and Venuti and, and I think, again, you know, not that I sat down and learned that stuff note for note, which I probably should. <laughs> but I I do think that I've applied and you've been able to apply some some stuff from that as well. You know, and I do come from kind of a contest background. Uh, I did contests for... Ah, from the time I was eight or nine, you know, until, <laughs> till I was like seventeen or something like that, and um, and so a lot of those people, you know, approach it from a a swing, more of a more of a Texas swing kind of thing, and uh, mandolin players as well. You know, they they would have mandolin contests, you know, and you would hear. You know, you would hear people play something like, you know, well, uh, Daybreak and Dixie or El Camachero. El Camachero was a big one, you know. For... Yes, you were gonna hear El Camachero like twenty five <laughs> times, you know. But like uh but that you know, you would you would more frequently hear people play, you know, like Sweet Georgia Brown or Lady Be Good or, you know, maybe maybe one of those tunes like High Level Hornpipe that's a fiddle tune, you know, that they play on the Mando, but yeah, so I guess I guess a lot of that has has factored into it. Well, I got two more questions for you here, and we've kind of actually no, I take that back. I um, well, I guess we kind of um, we kind of talked about technique. Normally, I say what would you do for ten minutes a day, but we talked about some different things people can work on. So um, I guess the the next question I'll ask is gear. Um, what is your main mandolin when you're playing? Uh, I've got a Gilchrist that's uh, 1995. I think it's a 95. Yeah, um, it's uh, X braced, and I, man, I love that mandolin. Uh, it's uh, yeah. Whether you yeah, after a while, when you start playing and, and you've been playing for a little while, you you start to hear 
you know, the players you like and you start to, to figure out, you know, the tone that you really like or the sound of an instrument that you really like. And once you find that sound that's in your head, you know, it's just, there, there's nothing else, you know. Yeah, right. And I found this mandolin in, uh, uh, I think, 2003. I had another Gilchrist, and it was a good mandolin, too, you know. It was like a, a parallel tone part, uh F5 from, I think it was might have been a 94, but it was built for uh, this this guy from Canada, Mel Reller, that used to sell all these tour-the-shell picks. He used to come to IBMA every year. And uh, somehow I got to talking to him and and uh, said that I was looking for a Gilchrist because I played one and I just, I had played a couple of them actually and just, they were the best thing. And I still think, you know, they're, they're one of the best you can you can get as not only as you know as far as the sound or whatever, but just the you know when you buy a Gilchrist mandolin, you know the workmanship is top notch, and it's not something that's you know well I, I'm going to buy this, but I'm going to have to set it up or you know like if it's if it's something built by Gilchrist, you know it's going to be right. Absolutely. And so I've. Uh, I bought that first one, and then, uh, and of course, you know, after you buy something, you know, then then here comes about three more, you know. <laughs> of course. Oh, I wish I. <laughs> <laughs> so there's like, uh, well, our guitar player Josh, you know, his dad Steve was uh, is a mandolin player. He doesn't play much anymore, but he kind of went through a phase where he was. He was trading a bunch, and he he wound up with a a bunch of different things. You know, it seemed like he'd have a mandol- new mandolin every two weeks. <laughs> and uh, he called me up and he said, "Man, I got this Gilchrist the other day, and I'm playing along with the Ronnie McCurry instructional video, and it sounds just like that damn mandolin." And uh, Ronnie McCurry, uh, Ronnie McCurry, that uh, Gilchrist of his, and especially like in the nineties, you know, like there, uh, the tone that he was pulling, like on a lot of that Dell stuff from that time, you know, deeper shade of blue and cold hard facts and all that, and uh, there was an album Mac Doc and Dell. Uh, you know, Mac Wiseman, Doc Watson, the Del McCurry, you know, which mm-hmm. they, and of course, Ronnie's playing mandolin on that album. And I just, man, you know, the tone of that mandolin on that album. And, you know, with between him and Compton and Steffi and, and a few others, uh, and then my buddy Steve, you know, he told me that. I was like, well, I got to see this, you know. <laughs> And he he brought it over, and man, it was just <laughs> that was it. Yeah, you know? so great. And so he, uh, I ended up getting that one from him. I had two of them for a while, and then I 
I ended up selling the other one to him for the same price. If we'd have known, we could have just traded. <laughs> like, yeah, he liked he liked the other one I had. You know. Yeah. So, oh wow. Yeah, they're but, great sounding. Oh man, yeah. But there's there's a lot of good ones. You know, Nathan's just got a Kimball. And man, that thing is killer. Yeah, Will Kimball's blowing them out right now. This sounds so good. He has. I don't think I've ever played yeah. a bad Kimball, to be honest with you. No, and I mean, we went over there because he had he had three of them, I think. And we would just keep playing them, and, and like the one was was clearly the best one. But still, you know, every time you would play the others, it's like, yeah, this has got something cool happening you know <laughs> yeah it's just and after that you know once you get to a a certain level it's just what you want you know what you prefer um you know that's it's like uh gilchrist or you know john silikowski's fiddles or you know somebody like that they're they're not all gonna be exactly the same but you know they all got their their thing you know absolutely absolutely and then the final question and uh, normally it would be a beer question but we're, we're going to avoid the beer question on this one and i'm going to ask you if <laughs> you, you, should were... have, you should have called me for this thing about six years ago we could have <laughs> talked about some beer well i saw yeah i saw the documentary <laughs> well i'll tell you my favorite beer at the time was fat tire oh yeah <laughs> yeah buddy some oh. good stuff. Yeah, I've had many a hangover thanks to Fat Tire. <laughs> That's an endorsement right there. <laughs> yeah. God. Your head hurts. It's great. Yeah. So my question for you then would be, if you were to pick up your mandolin right now, what tune would you play? Oh, man. You know, when I'm, um, when I'm playing just... Uh, just sitting around playing, I just, I don't know that I necessarily play tunes all the time, you know, I'll, or I'll start playing a tune and I'll just find a phrase that I get hung up on and then I'll play that, you know, same phrase over and over. Yeah, it's probably annoying as hell to listen to, <laughs> but uh, I don't know, you know, I don't, a lot of times, you know, I don't necessarily sit around and just play tunes, but sometimes I'll mess around with, you know, I've got a, a, a lot of original tunes, you know, pieces of tunes that I, I try to play every once in a while to see if I can come up with with something, you know, but yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, well, picking it up and noodling works as well. Well, man, Michael, thank you so much for doing this. It's been a pleasure. I've been a fan for years and years and years, and it's it's been great to talk with you, man. Hey, same here, man. Yeah, hopefully we'll, uh, once all this stuff clears up, we'll be able to meet in person and Shoot, do some yeah, picking. Man. That'd be great. Yeah, it'd be great, buddy. Michael, thank you so much, pal. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me.